Hey everyone, welcome back to Marvelous Geeks. I'm Gisana Sophia, and I'm here with Katie and Heather today. Guys. Hi everybody. Hello. And for all of you who know, Katie is the head writer of Nerdy Girl Notes, and Heather is the head writer of TV Examined. And we've been doing end-of-the-year reviews for I don't know how many years now. I lost count. But this is part two of our end-of-the-year review. So if you haven't checked out part one already, be sure to do that before. So now we're going to talk about romance and the best episodes of the year. Go, Katie. Go. My number three romantic relationship is a uh, reality TV romantic about a yacht or like a, a big luxury yacht and the people who work on it. And this season, there were two very messy, very toxic romantic relationships that were sort of more the focal point. Uh, namely Jess and Rob, who if anyone listening watched Below Deck Mediterranean, you would go, ew, they were the worst. And then there was Bugsy and Alex, who just kind of floated underneath the surface where there was another relationship, uh, Malia and Tom, who were also very toxic. And then there were these two really good people who Bugsy was the uh, chief stew, which meant that she was in charge of everything, like, and the interior of the boat and taking care of the guests. And Alex was the lead deckhand, which meant he took care of all of the, you know, stuff on the deck and getting the ship running properly. They were really good at their jobs, which was rare for this show. They were really good people, which was even more rare for this show. And every so often when they would get to, you know, get off of the boat and go party, they would dance around their feelings for each other. And then by the end of the show, they had kissed and they were sort of, you were left like, what's going to happen with these two really good people who should be together because most reality TV relationships are toxic and trash. And then you find out at the reunion that they have seen each other, that quote-unquote old feelings have resurfaced. And like anyone would, it sends all of the people who have watched this show to social media, looking at their Instagram comments and, you know. And it's very exciting because it's a nice experience for every sort of Bravo fan who has watched this show to root for two genuinely nice people to be together. And even if they are never, you know, together in that way, if that never happens, you got to watch this really nice but slightly awkward girl and Bugsy have this really cute, like, very sweet frat boy kind of guy and Alex tell her that she's amazing. And, like, that's all anybody wants to watch is, like, this person who is, like, most people don't like me. They think I'm awkward. And then this, like, you know frat boy dude from Boston who's super cute being like I actually think you're great and I really like you like it was just precious and pure which you don't get on Bravo shows like you do not get like pure good cinnamon roll type relationships <laughs> on Bravo and that was like the one that absolutely warmed my heart <laughs> I love that <laughs> so my number three pick took me by surprise when I was making this list, I was thinking about everyone I liked and realized I was overlooking someone. And that would be Ruby and Stan from Good Girls. They are not the most popular couple on the show. Everything is all about Beth and Rio, which I 100% get behind. <laughs> because they're a disaster in the best ways as a shipper. But Ruby and Stan are so stable. And they love each other. And it was a hard season for them because Stan lost his job because Ruby commits crimes and he helped her commit a crime. <laughs> And it has been really hard for him to reconcile because he used to be a cop and now he can't be that anymore. He lost so much of his sense of identity. But no matter what's going on, no matter how much they're disagreeing or fighting or struggling to get through to each other, there is that commitment to be there for each other. They got to celebrate an anniversary and it was the cutest thing in the world. They couldn't do much, but, you know, they had some living room karaoke and they just got to be in love. And it's really nice on that show to have someone stable to kind of balance out all of the disasters going on everywhere else. And to know that 
no matter what, these two people are going to love each other. They are going to fight. They're going to disagree, but they're going to come back to each other and apologize and make the decision to continue to be together. And it's just so wonderful. And also, Retta is just amazing. And anytime any of her characters get any amount of love, I'm just like, yes, this is the correct choice television. Please give me all of this. <laughs> her book is one of my favorite autobiographies I listened to this year. Because fun fact, I like to listen to them because then it just feels like a podcast where they're they're talking to me. And her book is just a delight. Like an absolute freaking delight. But my third choice, romance is, was lacking for me this year in a lot of ways because, again, the shows that I know I'm going to have big ships on have not aired yet, so I can't talk about them. But some kind of technically cheating here, but I'm also not because in the U.S., Sanditon did air this year. So I could cheat. Um, but everybody knows this because I feel like I've been singing praises for this show for a lifetime now. It feels so long. But Sydney and Charlotte from Sanditon are my heart and soul and one of my favorite Austin couples ever. They tend to be the couple. And I say that as somebody that studies Austin and is very snobby about how I look at things in this universe. But they are just, it's the perfect combination of the grump and the sunshine and what they're able to bring into each other's life. We have this jaded man who has been broken by love, is never going to give love another chance, just doesn't even give people a chance anymore. And we have this girl who is just sunshine, literally. And she just wants to make people happy, but she's also not going to take anybody's shit. And she's especially not going to take shit from the man who is trying to not listen to her and to treat her like she's a child. But these two are going to come together and they're going to be the beacons of light in each other's life. And they are going to just bring out the best in each other. And they're going to bring in whatever the other person is lacking because they're able to challenge each other so well but at the same time, they're equals. And that's always my thing with ships, especially ships in the 19th century, where equality is not a thing that ha happens. But this is a man who would never treat her as anything but she is enough the way that she is. And he would, we need a second season so that he could prove that to the world. But it's just, it's, it's one of the most beautiful relationships I have ever seen on TV and especially an Austin ship. Like it's just, it's so hard not to compare to what we've had because it's so beautiful in every way. And I'm never going to stop talking about them and find excuses to like weave them into everything. <laughs> I love it. And I'm going to continue on the grump and the sunshine route because my number two choice is Tim Bradford and Lucy Chen on The Rookie. Here's the thing about Tim Bradford and Lucy Chen on a romance list. They are both currently dating other people. Um, they are the definition of a good slow burn. And I feel like anyone who watches Suits will understand when I say that they are the slow burn that the creator says is never going to happen. But we all know that if it holds out for long enough, they're going to realize they have to make it happen. So I'm never going to listen to creators who tell me it's not going to happen. And instead, I'm just going to go like, you always lie anyway. It's fine. I'm going to know nothing. I'm going to invest in this and I don't care what you say. They are the like pinnacle of Grump and Sunshine. Like he is two time tour of duty military vet like training officer who has like washed out seven rookies because he scares all of them like he is that person and she is everything is sunshine I do meditation like I like love to talk about my feelings and no matter how much you don't want to talk about your feelings I'm gonna make us talk about feelings she is that person and from the pilot I have shipped them because obviously like Grouch and Sunshine is my number one ship dynamic. 
But this year, like really starting in the back half of season two in 2020 was like their year to the point where it was like every good slow burn ship that any of us have ever had when they have a scene together and it's just the two of them and your heart rate kind of speeds up because you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen here. They could literally say nothing and it could still be the most important scene in this episode. And that's pretty much what happened. And anyone who watches The Rookie knows that then they kind of put the brakes on it because the two actors who play the characters have too much chemistry. (laughs) Because it's literally to the point where when they share a scene together, you go like, what's going on here? Like, this this is something. And it's been a long time since I've watched a show and not known where a romantic relationship was going to go because it's a show that is currently airing so I don't have the you know spoiler at the end of like it's either gonna happen or not gonna happen and also like you literally don't know where these two characters are gonna go with each other but you're in it for the ride because they both give each other like a safe space she is kidnapped at one point this year and he is the person who finds her which is literally like the dream of a shipper is Mm -hmm. like, you think it's too good to be true because neither of them are the main characters on this show. Not only is he the one who finds her, he is the one who, when she wakes up in the hospital bed, is the one who spent the whole night there and brings her favorite food when she wakes up. So it's like, how are they feeding us all this good stuff? So literally, he makes her feel safe in that way. And then on the flip side, this very tiny not a veteran police officer, a rookie, makes him feel safe in a different way to start learning how to talk about his feelings and to start processing the fact that he is someone who carries guilt for literal years around about things that he has no need to feel guilty about. And she is the one who's like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the fact that you don't need to blame yourself for all of these things. Or let's talk about like, your current relationship that you're in and like trying to be a healthier person in relationships or like, let's talk about the fact that we're friends now and it's okay to talk about these things. And both of them give each other this safe space to sort of grow into not just better police officers, but grow into better people. And that is like, you know, the ultimate ship dynamic. It really is. (laughs) I'm gonna keep the grumpy sunshine theme going, Um, but gender swapped. So I am going to go with Will and Angie from Single Parents, who you will never get together because the show was canceled and I'm still mad. (laughs) But they were on the perfect trajectory. This was the season that you see, yes, this is where we are headed with these two. He is the sunshine. She is the grump. She is determined to not care about anything. He is going to care about everything a whole lot. But the one thing that they do have in common is how much they care about each other. Not that Angie will ever admit that. (laughs) But we got a fake dating episode where they pretended to be dating for the sake of his parents because they just got the mistaken impression of what the relationship was. You got the whole, I'm going to go lecture your boyfriend for not treating you well enough and for not thinking you're the most special person in the world so that, you know, I drove several hours to get you in this hotel because he was cheating on you and I thought you deserved better. (laughs) And then in the final episode, there was one of those really great love confessions that no one remembered. Angie was going away for the summer to give her child's father a second chance. So to pack up the house and get everything ready, he came over, he helped her, they got drunk, They got a little bit cuddly and fell asleep. As they were falling asleep, she told him that she thinks she loves him. They woke up. They were drunk. They had been drunk. No one remembered anything. The last shot of the show is her in the car with her ex, remembering everything that happened. And then it ended. And it was beautiful and perfect. And I cannot believe that I don't get to see a resolution for it. But it was the most satisfying slow burn ship I've seen in a comedy in a while, even though it never got resolved. That's some tragic shit. What even? 
It is the worst thing. <laughs> this is this is not a good time for ships. <laughs> it really is not. It was not the year for ships. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I feel like the ship is probably on all of our lists, uh, but my second is we're on seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My second is David and Patrick. How can they not be? I feel like if they're not on somebody's list this year, what even were you doing? But the thing with David and Patrick that I really love is that they genuinely are a couple that I still don't understand how they're a couple. Like, I don't understand because <laughs> there's such polar opposites that you're just like, how are you guys going to make this work? But that's the thing is that their love is so deep. And it's so real that it does not matter that Patrick has absolutely no interest in any of the things that David has interest in. He loves him anyway. He and the way that they love them and the way that both of them are people that never really thought they would have this kind of love for different reasons is the reason why they're so special. And the way that they continuously try to make each other happy in little ways and the fact that the show constantly puts the emphasis on it is something that I'm so grateful for because you see it and it's always a big moment even when if it is well singing for them is a big moment but even something like singing for wedding vows how that becomes such a banger of a moment is only something that a show like Schitt's Creek can accomplish and I just For, I feel like the past two years, we've had very bad relationships when it comes to same-sex representation. It's kind of, yeah, it just has not been ending well. So I'm just really glad that of all them, these two, they not only ended well, but they ended beautifully. Like, they ended the show. And it's just props to Dan Levy for, for sticking to it. And I love him for that. So, David and Patrick. That makes me very happy because my number one, I put two different options. Um, they are one of my options for number one you because still talk I, about them. I will still talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, extrovert, I'll talk about anything. Um, I love them because it's this sense that they see each other. Like, it's what everybody wants in a relationship. And I think especially talking about like episodes between them in 2020, like you literally have an episode about David wetting the bed and Patrick still being like, you're cute. Like, and to me, that's Dan Levy's way of writing a funny way of saying like, imagine this person seeing you at what you think is your absolute worst. Like for David, that's like the most embarrassing worst thing that someone could see of him. And like Patrick, not only is like, that's okay. He's like, I love you. Like, I think this is cute. I'm going to look at you with this face that is like, you are precious to me. And seeing this side of you makes me love you more, not less. Like, it doesn't freak me out. That's fine. And in fact, I'm going to show you my night guard and my nose thing. And, uh, you know, like, don't we all have those, like, weird little things that we're like, someone's going to see that someday. And, like, I don't know if I'm okay with that. And this show continuously reminds me that, like, if it is the right person and David and Patrick are the right person for each other, like, you will be seen by someone and they will be like, all of this is great. Like you, because all of these little things, even if they are things you don't like about yourself, make up the person that I love. And that is what makes all of it fine. So they are, you know, one half of my number one ship. The other half is also Schitt's Creek, and that is Lexus and Ted. And I want to talk about Alexis and Ted because they, David and Patrick end the show and they end beautifully and they get their happy ending together different terms of you know using happy ending um but alexis and ted get a different version of a happy ending that we you never see that on tv you never see the fact that it can sometimes be okay to go your separate ways with someone and it doesn't mean that you didn't love each other and it doesn't mean that you that it is any less important than the couple that gets married at the end. In fact, 
it's necessary. Like these two people, their love for each other allowed them to grow to the place where they could say, I, we can't do this. We can't be with each other because it's going to stifle you in some way. And I love you enough to say that your growth is more important than my selfish needs. And you've also taught me to love myself enough to say that I can't put myself in a position that's not going to be healthy for me. And watching these two people and just watching the way Annie and Dustin played that last scene together with this incredible amount of love and warmth and softness and a lived in kind of, I keep saying that about Chits Creek, but it's true. Like the relationships feel lived in. They feel like you can genuinely feel like these two people love each other. And that makes that work. It makes it work in a way that you're not like, this is devastating. Well, yes, it is devastating. You end it going like, this is what bittersweet is. Like, this is what that word means. I am sad for these two people, but I'm also like, wow, to be loved and to love someone enough to move forward in my life and be okay with it is like, it's incredible and it's so creative and so unique and so brave to write a story that way and to know that your actors are going to sell it in a way that isn't like, oh, well, that fell flat or like that devastated everyone for the rest of the season. Like, no, it actually worked. Like, I could sing the praises of that choice forever, but I will stop because, you know, people can't listen to this podcast for nine hours. <laughs> or can they? Or can they? I mean- <laughs> It would be acceptable. <laughs> so I did not. I think David and Patrick are probably my number four pick for the year. But I think mostly because I wrote about them last year, and I don't want to do the same people twice. <laughs> so my number one pick for this year is Adora and Katra from Shira and the Princesses of Power, which was everything I wanted. They started out the show as best friends. And then they ended up on opposite sides of a war. So we had like three seasons of them being enemies that still cared about each other. Catra had such huge abandonment issues because her best friend left her and found new friends. And then in the last season, they finally come together. They finally realize that, yes, they've been fighting the same battle from opposite perspectives, but that the way they felt about each other never changed. They were still their best friend, the the person that they cared about the most. And Catra finally understood that, that just because Adora had other friends, it didn't mean she cared about her any less. And so to see that realization happen and for Adora to risk everything to save Catra and for it's that beautiful trope of the person you love gets hurt and suddenly you become superhuman. (laughs) But literally in this case, because Adora's She-Ra. <laughs> and that's what brought back her powers. That's what brought that connection with She-Ra back. It was seeing Katra hurt. And it was in the act of rescuing her that she was able to become the person that she could be. And so to watch them grow toward each other and to watch ultimately that love be the thing that saves the day was just everything to me. I cannot imagine... I mean, it's a show that was is technically made for children. <laughs> a lot of adult fans, but it is technically made for children who probably are not dissecting the very wonderful character work like the adults who are watching it are. But at the end of the day, they're getting to see these two girls love each other and have that be enough to save the day. And that's just so cool to me. I cannot even imagine something like that when we were growing up. That would not have been a thing. Um, but to see them get that happy ending and to make the choice that they, that yes, they want to be together, they're going to be better for each other. They are going to live in a way that lets them be with the other was perfect. The children's shows this year, man, they're just doing the best work. Um, but my number one ship is actually, it's it's my comfort ship. It's Jay, Jake and Amy. And this season, especially, like, I love angst. I always love angst. And so for the two of them to go through everything that they did this year and to have the communication that they did as adults, like, okay, this might not happen for us. What do we do in this case? 
Is this an option? Is that an option? There was never a situation where they weren't there for each other, where they weren't trying. And Jake and his MC Hammer pants for um <laughs> to be able to conceive, like all these things that they 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 do anything for each other. And I love that I have this ship that I can trust. Nothing is going to happen. And that's just the thing with Jake and Amy is they're not always they they sometimes have slower seasons. So where they're just a couple and they're they're still that comfort ship. But this year, I feel like giving them such a big storyline really sold it for me. And I was just so happy to have them and to have them be there for each other and to just really remind us of why these two got together in the end and why they work because they're polar opposites, but not like David and Patrick, but just in other ways. And they would still do anything for each other. They love each other so much. And they, they're they going to be adults about everything, even when they're being giant children. And that's just, it always works so well. And Jake and Amy. That's such a good pick. And it makes me so happy because they are also, I think that they're just a comfort ship for anyone that like yeah. loves Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I'm just so happy you talked about them. They're <laughs> home. Like if you take them away from me, it's just like, wh- what? What? Don't do that. Um, we're on episodes. Ooh, I'm so excited. All right. Um, I actually am going to talk about, I am excited to continue the Jake and Amy train because I'm going to talk about trying. Um, I don't know how they did it, but they made an episode of a sitcom about infertility that works in on so many levels and I love the fact that it was something that wasn't really played for laughs and it wasn't brushed under the rug and it wasn't it was an entire episode dedicated to this thing that a lot of couples go through but don't really talk about like it's something that this has sort of been the year I always think about you know Chrissy Teigen and then Meghan Markle like coming forward and talking about stories about miscarriage and infertility is another one of those things where like for so long it just has been something that people don't talk about like it's you know there's a lot of shame around it or a lot of blame on either the man or the woman or you know for whatever reason it's not working and normalizing it in episodes like this where it's not just a b-plot or it's not just like a line here and there like it is the episode allows people who are going through stuff like that to see it and to feel less alone and to feel less shamed and to think like that's the power of fiction like oh Jake and Amy are going through this it makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that I'm going through this too and I just think it was a really brave thing to do on a show that continually makes brave choices in the stories that it tells and continually makes creative choices in the stories that it tells because it's not just like Oh, we're going to talk about like, you know, obviously they're going to talk about things like police brutality and Black Lives Matter. And they had that beautiful episode a few seasons ago with Terry. And but you're also going to talk about things that aren't strictly police related Mm -hmm. interpersonal relationships and marriage and children. And the fact that it's a show that can do that and yet still maintain its tone and not feel like it's veering into a million different directions or this doesn't feel this feels like a very special episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine it didn't feel that way. It felt like it was right for these characters. And I just love the idea of normalizing, talking about something that a lot of couples go through and making them feel less alone by presenting it through characters that they already loved. And bravo to them for doing it in a way that was super entertaining too. I'm clearly going to have to go back and rewatch the season since I I apparently really do remember nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But you guys have made me want to rewatch it. So that seems like that's going to be a thing that happens. So my number three pick is Best Wishes, Warmest Regards, the Schitt's Creek documentary, which I just love. The first half is a little bit unusual. We got some random celebrities to talk about how much they love this show, which is fine. They're people too. They also get attached to their TV. But that whole second half is all about how much everybody involved loved what they were doing. We have all had those shows with the drama behind the scenes where no one really liked each other. Something happened in the writer's room and everything became a disaster. 
but that was never this show. This show was made by people who loved what they were doing. They loved their fans. They wanted to tell the best story possible for them. And that just came through so beautifully so that for the whole second half, you just sob. Whether it's the cast's reaction to that beautiful letter from the moms of the LGBTQ kids or them at Pride or the table read for that final episode, which kills me. (laughs) Or those final goodbyes where those cries are so real because they're saying goodbye to these shows. They're wrapping up these people's stories. And it's a beautiful love letter to everything that they managed to achieve. And the fact that Pop gave them the opportunity to do that. And to say goodbye, not just with a gorgeous final episode, but this special wrap-up documentary. I just appreciate it so much. I still haven't seen it because I know I'm going to sob. Like, not even cry. I know I'm going to sob. So I'm not ready for that. Like, Mm -hmm. I caught glimpses of it and I was just gone. I was like, nope, I don't know when I'm going to be ready for this, but now is not the time. Yep, 100% Uh, get that. (laughs) But my third choice is the final episode of Normal People. Because like I mentioned, it it's not as unhappy as you would imagine it to be. It does end in a breakup. But it ends in the type of breakup that is very Ted and Alexis. In the sense that we have to go our separate ways because we're following our dreams. And nobody has impacted my life the way that you have. Nobody has pushed me the way that you have. Nobody has loved me the way that you have. And I'm carrying all that with me as I go follow my dreams and you stay here. And there is this idea of maybe someday, like I like that it leaves it open for fans to say, yeah, I believe that they're going to get back together, that they'll find their way back to each other. But there's also such beautiful callbacks to their first kiss. And the, the realizations of how much they love each other is the core of this episode. And it's framed around Christmas, which is also something that I always love, oddly, when something is a finale that ends in Christmas. It just feels so appropriate, but it it really surprised me because I read the book and I but the series at least leaves you with hope that all these things that we've gone through it's because of each other and even if we don't end up together, even if we both end up with somebody else, you are still so special to me and you feel that in that final shot and one of the things I've said about the show is that there are so many shots that you could just take out and frame and someone could come look at that shot even if the couple's not in it and it's just it's a masterpiece that's it's so beautiful and that final scene is one of those shots that I'm just like I would frame this it's just it's very hopeful for a show that looked like it was going in a darker direction again you're making me want to watch this which is very exciting no like so well done and now hearing you talk about it makes me go like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do this (laughs) um I'm going to go in a completely fluffy direction now and I'm going to pick Christy's Big Day from Babysitter's Club I was watching this episode on my treadmill and I started crying so hard that I had to stop (laughs) I was like walking at a fairly brisk pace and was like I can't do both of these things at the same time it is such a beautiful the whole show Babysitter's Club is such a beautiful testament to the power of relationships between women not just within the young women of the Babysitter's Club but mothers and daughters and grandmothers and granddaughters and this episode to me is such a great snapshot of that because we get not just the beautiful relationship within the babysitters club but we get christy and her mom and i have to give the world's biggest shout out to alicia silverstone for playing such a great mom which is so weird because we all like grew up with her like in clueless like she is Cher and like now seeing her as a mom like makes me have to think about all my life choices because i feel old now but like she is such a phenomenal mother character there's just such warmth coming from her and that moment when she runs out of the car because she didn't get to see Christy and they have such a beautiful mother-daughter moment and it's such a realistic mother-daughter moment when she's like I'm harder on you than I am on the boys because you're my favorite don't tell them is just 
such a real moment. And then the part, right? And then the part when she grabs her face and tells her that she is like her whole heart just destroys me because it feels so real. And like, my mother is like the warmest person in the world too. So anytime there's like a warm mom character on a show, I'm just going to be like, I love you. And (laughs) just soft and great and wonderful and just Always tell your kids how much you love them because as someone who has a mom who is very affectionate and says it all the time, like I like when that is celebrated in media and not just bad relationships between mothers and daughters. And then we get like the picture perfect, never depicted moment on television of Christy getting her period. It was so perfect because it wasn't like, yay, you're a woman now, which is like the worst thing to tell a preteen girl. Like, don't do that. Like, don't do not do that to her. Instead, just be like, this is something that happens. And I love the moment after when she looks at all of her friends and they go like, you can commiserate with us now. And like, it's Marianne like telling her how to put a pad on. Like it's like these things that aren't talked about but are such an important part of the preteen girl experience. And it reminds you of being like a 12 year old girl and there's that little network in your class of like girls who got their period and you talk to each other. And like, it's what female friendship at that age is. And it's so realistic. And the fact that it's like, well, how do you feel? And she's just like, I want more cake. It's just such an honest moment without being like, this is the most important moment of your life, girls. Like, and that is what the Babysitter's Club is. It's this real depiction of what it is to be a preteen girl without like trying to put these different moments on weird pedestals and instead just going like, these are universal moments that girls go through. And like, you have your friends to help you through them. And it is just such a beautiful exploration of all these different kinds of relationships between women and I have watched it and rewatched it so many times it's probably my most rewatched episode of 2020 and I adore it love it that is a wonderful choice <laughs> my next episode is probably the one that made me laugh the most is also the most on brand for me as a person <laughs> and it is boundaries by one day at a time <laughs> Which just cracked me up a ridiculous amount because this cast does comedy so well. But also my master's thesis title was Perceptions of Women's Sexual Agency and Pleasure. And so content-wise, super on brand for me. (laughs) Because it's not something that we really talk about, especially for middle-aged women. And so for Penelope to get the moment in her therapy group where talking about Alex unfortunately walking in on her which again probably lock your door (laughs) but but to see all of these women talking honestly about their sexuality and what it means for them as single women for the most part and then just Frida Moreno is a gift and her very in-character reaction and Elena also very in character and also very me in this episode being like but what if I gave you a book about this this is actually really important and horrifying everyone else in the family (laughs) is just the greatest thing in the world and for the show to tackle it so naturally and so honestly but also so hilariously is something I feel like one day at a time did really really well they were always going to make you laugh but they were also going to talk about issues that actually matter that affect people and whether that's something as small as boundaries and whether or not you should lock your door when your vibrator is out (laughs) which again yes (laughs) but it's it's perfect and i'm gonna miss it very much (laughs) i hate that that show was canceled seriously like no words um my second choice is Lights Out. So that's the Brooklyn Nine-Nine finale. I cannot remember the last time I was laughing and crying at the same time to where both my eyes were burning and my stomach hurt at the end because I was laughing so hard. That final moment with 
Push It playing, Jake running, Rosa being there, and just the whole delivery process was so on brand for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but also so just... I don't know how it was so heartwarming when it was so ridiculous, but that's the whole essence of this show is its way of bringing so much heart to such ridiculous things and such serious things that don't feel like Katie said, a special episode of something. And so just finally seeing that moment of Jake and Amy get their happy ending and um, again, push it playing. I don't know if anyone's watched Chuck, but there's that scene with Awesome and Ellie and their birth and Push It's playing. And anytime that ridiculous, like, I can't listen to that song anymore without thinking of people giving birth. Like, it's just, I just remember how the high I got from that episode. And it aired in April when it was like, we were early on in this pandemic where we thought, okay, we're just going to be out for like two weeks. And then it turned to, we might be in here for a long time. And that episode was the first time that I really laughed. And so I just, above all, remember my reaction to it and how it made me feel. And that's what's so special about the show, that it could make you feel so much. When it's serious, you're going to cry. When it's happy, you're going to laugh and cry. Like, I still cannot explain my reaction at that moment. Like, I thought I was going to go insane because I was... Like, I was in hysterics of laughing and crying. My mom was like, what, is, like, are you okay? And I was like, I, I think so. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm just really glad that it gave me that kind of a reaction at a time where things were not good at all. Um, My number one choice is similar in the fact that it gave me a lot of joy at a time when I in this pandemic and you know sometimes not sure when you're gonna get that in your life and that is the actually titled happy ending the season finale series finale of Shit's Creek I there were a lot of episodes that I went back and forth in season six choosing for my favorite episode there were so many different ones I almost settled on start spreading the news because I loved the like all of the sort of goodbyes that we got in that episode but the finale just made you feel joy. There was no like bittersweet part of it. It was just joy. And it was joy without being overly sappy, which I think is a really hard line to walk in a comedy finale because I love I love finales, but I'm very picky in regards to what I like to rewatch. Because sometimes I will rewatch a series finale and just go like, mm, that didn't feel like the show as a whole. Like it felt like it was trying too hard to be sentimental or it was trying too hard to like leave an impact. This was a series finale about a guy getting a hand job on the day of his wedding. Like it by not his husband, like <laughs> that his husband paid for. Like, <laughs> and to me, there's nothing better than that. And like the fact that that happens and it is handled as just because that's part of the show. Like it's these two guys who are comfortable enough with their sexuality and their marriage and their relationship that it's not going to derail their wedding that this happened. It's just going to lead to a moment of minor frustration for Patrick and confusion for David and just pure bliss for Stevie because she is just watching it happen and is like, tell me more. And I think that that is one of the most Shit's Creek scenes of all time because it's like, Something that on any other sitcom would be like, well, is the wedding even going to happen now? And it's like, no, that's not even, we're not even dealing with that. We're just dealing with, was it good? Like, that's what happens. And Noah Reed's delivery of, was it? Don't, was it? Is my favorite line delivery on TV this year. And then you just get the wedding itself and you get the fact that there is there's a very Gilmore Girlsy in feel to the fact that the whole town comes together to give them this moment. Even Ronnie, who wants it to be very specifically stated that this is just for David and not for Patrick, you get this sense of joy that like not all series finales have because sometimes they want you to feel slightly sad about it. But that's not this show. 
It is like we are going to celebrate. We are going to celebrate love. We are going to celebrate love between two men that is uncomplicated and not dramatic and instead is just really happy. We're going to have Patrick's parents be there. We're going to have his dad stand next to him. And when he, you know, last season wasn't sure if they were going to accept him, but because this is the world of Schitt's Creek, of course they are. And of course this is going to all work out perfectly. And of course Moira is going to have the most ridiculous outfit known to man. Like every beat of it was so true to what this show is, so true to who these characters are. You get the perfect, again, with the lived-in sense of the goodbye scene at the end, from their outfits to their hair to their slightly smudged makeup. It feels like a wedding reception that went all night. Like, it feels like these four people, like, the party died down and everybody else left, but they stayed and they just hung out, passing whatever champagne bottles were left around back and forth to each other. And then they have to say goodbye, but it's not sad. And that's the thing I love about it is it's not sad because you're watching these people who genuinely love each other and you genuinely know that they're going to be a part of each other's lives forever. And some of them because they're staying physically in the same place, but some of them because they've become a family. And I just love the moment of Moira telling Alexis that she's proud. Like I like could sob thinking about it like re-watching the show now and watching the part where Moira doesn't even know her daughter's middle name and <laughs> Moira doesn't want to have lunch with Alexis and now you get this sense that like she's proud of her daughter like the parents are proud of their kids like the kids love their parents they're saying I love you so freely in that last moment and the journey it took to get there is so believable and so real and you never are taken out of it. It never feels like, reminder, this is a series finale. It's just like, oh, these people are just happy and they're moving on to different stages of their lives and we're happy for them. And there's literally no sadness except in the fact that like this perfect show is ending, but like, I'm gonna hold on to the fact that Dan said that he would come back and do stuff again. So that's what I'm gonna hold on to forever. Yeah, yeah. But it just... It's joy. And when I need that feeling of joy at a time when I think we're all in a place where like we just want reminders of that, those last like 20 minutes, which really the whole episode is 20 minutes, but like really from the start of the wedding through to the end is like what I come back to. So I'm also going to pick a series finale for my first choice, and that is Heart, the two part series finale of She Ra, which I think wins for my favorite individual line of the entire year. And it happens when Adora is, you know, in her quintessential chosen one moment, ready to go sacrifice herself to save the world. And she sees this spirit of Mara, who was the previous Shira, come to her and she says, I'm at, and Mara just feels so badly that she feels like she failed because this wasn't what she wanted for Adora. She wanted her to get to live a happy and full life. She never wanted her to have to die. And pushed back when Adora said it was something that she needed to do, because she's quintessential chosen one, self-sacrificing to a fault. She is going to do whatever it takes to save the day. She is going to save her friends, and she's not going to let anyone help her because this is her burden to bear. <laughs> but Mara tells her that uh, she's worth more than what she can give to other people. And I don't think I've ever seen something like that in that kind of narrative, and especially something aimed toward young women, because we are taught that all of our value is what we can do for other people. And not that doing things for other people isn't great, but not at the expense of yourself. You have to find the things that make you happy. You have to be willing to fight for them and to hold on to those things. And so to see that so explicitly said in a year that I feel like some other shows perhaps didn't live up to quite as well. It was, no, we're just going to keep all of the suffering on one person. She is the bad one. And then we're going to just leave her to hang out for all eternity until she disappears. <laughs> Not naming any names, but just a little bitter there. But to see a children's show tackle that is so beautifully. And for it to have been love and friendship and happiness to save the day that these people got to feel joyful, that everybody got 
their happy ending. Everyone got their reunion with the people who meant the most to them. Everyone apologized for the things they had done to hurt each other, whether it was intentionally or not. They were all forgiven. And then at the end, Adora and Catra and their two best friends go off to save the rest of the universe. And it's a show that was so focused on that love and that friendship. And it just ended so fittingly for that, that that was what we got to see. It was always everyone else that they were fighting for. Everyone else gave them the strength to go on. And they just captured it so beautifully. Love that. Mine is also a series finale, and it's whatever you're ready by The Good Place. Um, I I think this might be my favorite Mike Sure finale. The more I think about it, it's just the balance that the show was able to achieve between being very serious, because we're dealing with philosophy. These are real serious topics that you might never get an answer to, and real emotions that often don't they're they're just not explored because nobody really wants to sit there and talk about the end and what's going to happen to us after and all that and so achieving that with comedy I think was the show's biggest success and the finale especially is so it's heartbreaking but it's also one of the most healing things I've watched because all these characters have come so far like Chidi being the first one of the first people to know that it's time when he was always the most indecisive and Eleanor wanting to hold on and Jason going, but wanting to hold on because he's looking for, for uh, this gift for Janet. Like, and it's Tahani staying behind in the good place or the bad place, wherever, like it's still wanting to help people. It's all these people finding their final moments and making it last. And, I think the thing with this show is that I'm still not ready to talk about it, but I love that because that's the whole point of we're not always going to be ready to do certain things and you just have to do them sometimes whenever there's like a little bit of peace in you and that's what you have to look for is that feeling of comfort and that feeling of peace. And I just, the jalapeno popper analogy like are you kidding I have not been able to stop thinking about that now I'm just like every time I go out and have a jalapeno popper whenever that's a thing again I'm gonna wonder was this the perfect one no it's not and (laughs) but that's the thing we all know that feeling and I feel like the show captured these human feelings in such a unique way that just worked like I it breaks my heart because I want more of it, but also it was the perfect ending and I admire them for ending it when they did because it could have gone on. But that's what makes it so special and so unique to its storytelling is that it had an ending, unlike Parks and Rec, which I still wish we got more of because we could have. But with this, with such a unique uh, genre with death and fantasy and weaving all that in together with life they they chose to end it at the perfect time and that's always something I'm going to admire when shows have gone on and ruined it and that's one of the shows that I watched from the past that I'm just like you could have ended this at this season and it would have been beautiful and yet you went along but the good place series finale is very close up there with being my number one series finale ever but I still haven't made that decision because I'm not ready. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been a freaking year. <laughs> yeah, it has. <laughs> Would you guys say that, like, have you had, um, what's been the one piece, if you could take one piece of media to have been the thing that, like, you're most grateful this year, what would it have been? I feel like I have, like, my trash answer, which is Bravo, because I, my sister and I have consumed more reality TV on Bravo in the last year, because sometimes it's nice to, like, get lost in, like, garbage people's problems that are, like, you know, this person didn't come to my party, Um, (laughs) and, like, that has been a nice escape, but I started watching Schitt's Creek again 
in September. And I, it was one of those things where I had watched through about midway through season three, literally the episode before Patrick comes in pre pandemic. And it was one of those things where the pandemic happened and there's a little part of your brain that's like, you don't get to be happy right now. Like everybody should just be stewing in misery. So I didn't watch it for a long time, like literally from March to September. And then it swept the Emmys and I was like, okay, I need to get back into this. And then it became the thing that was like, oh, I can feel 1 million percent happy even if it's for 20 minutes while I'm watching this show. And it was just a really nice reminder to like feel good feelings. And so that I think when I look back on this, you know, garbage year, it's going to also be like the year that I found Schitt's Creek. So it wasn't a total loss, which is really nice. (laughs) I actually have two answers. My book answer is A Killing Frost by Seanan McGuire. It is the 14th book in her October Day series, and I don't want to talk about it too much because I am theoretically writing about it still. (laughs) But it's just the perfect... It's so hard to do good things the farther on you get in a series. But to have such big plot moments that are moving, like, overall series-building plot forward, while also being so dedicated to the smaller character moments, and to get that balance just right, just made me so happy this year and completely ruined my reading for like the rest of the year because nothing has really lived up to it (laughs) which is a great feeling but also kind of terrible (laughs) my other answer is a weird pick because i have not mentioned it at all on this podcast i don't think i've mentioned it on social media and that's secrets of the zoo on national geographic wild it is a reality show focused on the columbus zoo and their sister park uh, the wilds and I don't know what it is about it. I had the hardest time watching TV this year. I could not focus on anything. If it wasn't a half an hour, I was not interested. And if, if it had a long involved plot, I was not interested. But then I just stumbled across it on Disney+. And not that cute animals aren't always great. They, <laughs> they make everything a little bit happier. But it was all of the people involved that I like instantly got attached to. I love that. And I think that was what excited me the most is that They were people to attach to doing real everyday things and doing something they so clearly loved. And so getting that connection and, you know, people don't leave zoos all that often. So we get get to keep the same people for multiple seasons. You get to know the keepers in the various areas. You see them sometimes come back to the same animal multiple times. And that continuity without being high stakes or stressful was everything I needed this year. I like blitzed through the first three seasons in a weekend. <laughs> uh, oh, and so in a year when I didn't watch a lot of TV, that felt really good to me. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I read way more this year than I ever did in the past. So for that, I'm grateful. But uh, mine's actually like I, I watched 12 Monkeys and I loved it. I think it's such an incredible show that's so plot heavy but also a show that knew when it needed to end so that it would not get messy because time travel can get very messy. So that was one of the things that I watched that I really loved and I have no no complaints for. Um, but for me, it's the hype for Bridgerton that's coming out on Christmas Day because I reread the books. I lost count of how many times I've reread them. And it's just, I don't remember the last time I was looking forward to something this strongly, especially TV show movies, yes. But TV shows, I haven't looked forward to anything in a while. It's always just, oh, okay, cool, yeah, I'll check that out. But something that I'm actually super excited about and have, like, fangirl mode activated is not something I thought I would have in a long time. So I'm very, very excited for that. So the hype around it has been keeping me, um, like, happy, which is odd, but a very good thing to look forward to good you need stuff to look forward to yeah right (laughs) when everything else seems so bleak and we don't know when this is gonna end yeah (laughs) but thank you guys so much for joining me this was so freaking fun and i can't wait for because heather might still i'm gonna put you on blast just so you actually do the thing. Might still do a book review. (laughs) And Katie, you still have an Elizabeth Jennings article that you owe me. I do owe you Elizabeth Jennings circa 2020. (laughs) 
I can wait till 2021. (laughs) It's fine. But you do owe me. So don't think I've forgotten. And don't think any of the listeners here have forgotten. It's about Elizabeth Jennings reacting to the world being trash. And I, as sad as it makes me to say, I don't think the world is going to stop being trash in 2021. So So you can find Heather at tvexamine.com and uh, Katie at nerdygirlnotes.com. I will link all of their information in the bio thank you guys for coming thank you for having us this was wonderful (laughs) thank you guys god bless goodbye and happy holidays new year christmas everything and may 2021 get better